0: John chapter 14 is where we're going to go in the Word of God today. And you ever dream about heaven? You ever dream about what heaven's going to be like? I, I know the Bible gives us a little bit of a light, a little bit of a tunnel into what heaven's going to be like. Uh, but the Bible also says, I have not seen neither, neither uh, entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them which love him. In other words, I, I don't have even a small dose of understanding of what heaven's going to be like, what eternity's going to be like. It's hard for me in my finite mind to understand what that infinite heaven is going to be. But I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. Uh, First of all, we get to see Jesus face to face. Our Savior, we get to to see those nail-pierced hands, those nail-pierced feet. We get to see our Savior who shed His precious blood. I love the emphasis of the singing today on the blood of Jesus. You say, well, that's kind of gruesome, isn't it? If it weren't for the shedding of Christ's blood, we wouldn't be on our way to heaven. He is our substitute. He took our place. My sin was laid on Jesus. And his blood covers my sin. I'm so thankful for that. But heaven's going to be an amazing place. I'm excited about what God has in store for us. You know, I'm excited about seeing those loved ones that's gone on to heaven for, uh, before us. My, my grandparents are in heaven already. And, and I didn't get to know, I, I probably shouldn't take the time to tell you this, but I love telling this. Uh, I didn't get to know my Grandpa Copeland very well. By the way, Uncle Ken, don't, don't hold that against me. My Uncle Kenneth Copeland, don't. And, uh, anyway, I'm just kidding. He's no relation as far as I know. But uh, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay too. You're probably better off. Um, but my, my Grandpa Copeland, he he passed away when I was five years old. I didn't really get to get to know my Grandpa Copeland. Uh, I, the only thing I remember about Grandpa Copeland was that he scared me. I don't, I don't know, you know, I was just a little, a little tyke. I, I was four or five years old, and, and I remember going to my Grandpa Copeland's house, and and my Grandpa Copeland, and I'm not meaning any of this derogatory in any way whatsoever, but my Grandpa Copeland had a glass eye. He, he worked at uh, Caterpillar in, in central Illinois and caught a metal shard in his eye and lost his left eye, and so he had a glass eye. And as a little kid, I didn't know which eye to look at. <laughs> and I remember I'd go over to, and I, I'd, tell my, I'd tell my mom, Mom, I Grandpa scares me. I, I, he, he always wants to hold me tight. And he, he, he had chaw in his mouth, and back in those days, you know, he, he had the old spittoon out underneath the carport, and and, uh, and just that nasty chaw down both cheeks. And, and, uh, and I, I remember I'd go there, and he'd say, they call me Blondie. My hair was bright white, Blondie, Blondie, come sit on my knee. I remember thinking, ah, I don't want to. And he'd, he'd snatch me up, what are you afraid of? And he'd sit me down on his knee, and he'd put his arm around me, and pull me in there tight, and he'd say, look at me, boy, look at me, boy, and I, I'd ah, and look up, and there was that eye. And it was staring at me, and the jaw coming down his cheeks, I'd, ah, and I know you're thinking you're just being mean. No, no. I was scared. And, and here's why I was scared. My Grandpa Copeland then would reach up, he, I'd be on his knee, he'd reach up, and he'd open his eyelid. He'd pull that glass eye out. He'd turn that glass eye around where the pupil was looking, and he'd put it right up in my face. And he'd hold it there, look at me, and he'd say, Blondie, always remember I'm watching you. I was like, ah, just let me go! And then he'd take that glass eye, plop it in his mouth, wash it around his mouth like a Jolly Rancher or a Jawbreaker, and pop it back out. And put it back in his eye. You say it was rude of you to say you were scared of him. Now you understand. My grandma Copeland, his wife, she was blind. So between the two of them, they only had one good eye. We'd go over. My my three older brothers, my parents, after my grandpa had passed away, my my parents would send four little Copeland Rugrats. My oldest brothers, four and a half years older than me. And so, my mom was pregnant for like five years in a row. It was just nonstop, and And uh, four of us, just little tykes, they'd send us over to my blind grandma to, for her to babysit us. You know, there's not a lot of lot of good things to do in a blind person's house. I mean, there, I, I, again, I don't mean that rude. I'm just saying there's not a lot of toys. There's not a lot of games. There's not a lot of things to do. And so, as a young boy, I just learned, you know, you had to figure out things to do to entertain yourself. And And so, I would... Please don't hate me for this. I've confessed this. I've confessed it to God. He's forgiven me. Please forgive me. But I would walk into the living room, and my grandma had this rocking chair there, and right by the door that walked in the living room, and I'd just walk over there, and I'd grab that rocking chair, and I'd pull it right over in the middle of the walkway. And then I'd, I know it's terrible. I know. I can. God forgave me. And I'd step back, and I'd say, Grandma! Grandma, come here! My grandma come walking around the corner and, and she just, oh blonde! And she didn't she didn't miss a beat. By the way, she told my mom later she thought it was fun. She she knew this was gonna happen, so she just played into it. She'd walk back into the kitchen, she'd reach up on the on the refrigerator. And she she grabbed that fly swatter, she called it a fly flap. She grabbed that fly swatter, she hold it. She didn't hold it by the metal hanger end, she held it by the floppy end. Why a blind grandma had a fly swatter, I'm not quite sure, (laughs) but she had it. I think this is why she had it. She grabbed that fly swatter, she'd come walking in, and you'd hear that fly swish, that metal hanger swinging through the air. And I don't, I don't know how, she's blind. I don't know how she'd do it. But I, I'd go hide somewhere, and I'd I, I just be laughing, like, oh, I got it, I got it. And, she, and she'd find me. And that fly, whack, whack, I, she'd hit me. Ah, oh, Grandma, Grandma, stop. Grandma. Okay, she said, don't you be moving my furniture on me. And then she'd kick us out of the house. Get kicked out of the house, by blind grandma, you're doing something. And uh, we had such a good time. My grandma, I got to preach her funeral a few years back. She's in heaven. I sat at the kitchen table with my grandma Copeland. And I said, Grandma Copeland, my wife sitting right next to me, I said, Grandma Copeland, tell me about when you became a Christian. I knew she was getting up in those years and she kept talking about going to heaven. And I wanted her to tell me when she got saved. I remember sitting there with my wife around the kitchen table as my grandma Copeland relayed this story about her as a child in Alabama. How she was in church, and she wanted to know she was going to heaven, and she put her faith and trust in Christ. Hey, when I get to heaven, I get to see my grandma. I get to see my grandpas. The Lord willing, no glass eye anymore. I get, to, I get to see them in heaven. What a day it's going. You ever stop and dream about heaven? Heaven's real. Heaven's just as real as this church is today that we're sitting in and enjoying, enjoying the time together. Well, some of you are enjoying it. Uh, We get to go to heaven, we get to see Jesus, it's real. It's not some made-up fairy tale. Matter of fact, John chapter 14, that very familiar passage of Scripture, because it's so familiar, please don't lose the impact of this passage of Scripture. I want you to see this. John chapter number 14, look if you would please in verse number 1, Jesus himself is speaking. By the way, Jesus is my favorite preacher. I love to hear Jesus preach. Amen. This is him preaching here. Listen to what Jesus preached about. He says in verse number 1, John chapter 14, verse number 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you, Listen to that. I challenge you, circle the word you there. He's going to prepare a place for you. He says in verse number three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And the whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas, that doubting disciple standing next to him, looks back at Jesus and he says, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest, and how, how can we know the way? Jesus answers that question from Thomas with a statement that probably most every one of us, we could quote the verse out loud together. But he says this in that verse, he says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here Jesus looks at these disciples gathered around, and he's teaching them this lesson. He's actually telling the disciples, I'm getting ready to die. Oh, those disciples were following Jesus, not because he was getting ready to die, not because they thought he was going to shed his blood for them. They were following Jesus because they had heard the, the prophecies of a coming kingdom. They were following Jesus because they anticipated Jesus being the king of the earth right then. But now Jesus is telling them, you know what? I'm getting ready to die. Those disciples didn't like that conversation. Those disciples had forsaken all. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. And now the Messiah who they're following is telling them, I'm getting ready to die. That's not good news. And he starts this conversation off with this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Boy, we live in some troublesome times, don't we? I know some of you, you don't even watch the news anymore because it's so discouraging. I've heard older folks talk some, excuse me, more mature folks talk sometimes. And they'll say things like, I never thought I'd see the day. I think we could say that over and over and over and over again, couldn't we? Things that we we would have said years ago, well that'll never happen in the United States of America. Now it's commonplace in America. Jesus looked at the disciples, and I love this, Jesus looked at him, he said this, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be fretful, don't be discouraged, don't be worked up about the things that are going on in this world. How can we live in this present world and not be worried about things? Here's why. Number one, we have a loving Savior. We have a Savior, listen to this church, we have a Savior who came to this old sin-cursed earth. He stretched out His arms on the cross at Calvary. That cross is not just an emblem we wear on a necklace or some earrings. That cross is a picture of the love of Jesus Christ for every one of us. Hey, can I tell you this morning, church family, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You ever felt sometimes like no one loves you? I'm the youngest of, of four boys. I remember sometimes going to my room, folding my arms, and saying, No one loves me. My brothers had teased me and beat me up, and all that. I was the abused child. You know, as the youngest, you know what I'm talking about. And I never deserved a bit of it. <laughs> See the smile. I remember sometimes going to my room and folding my arms and, and having that pity party. No one loves me. Everyone hates me. I think I'll eat some worms. Alexander in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You ever had some times like that? Hey, can I tell you this morning? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus, I I, I get excited about this stuff. He's my loving substitute. He took my place. Jesus took my sin upon Himself. Jesus took all my sin. I I remember teachers in school. You you remember those substitute teachers in school? Remember how we, not we, how you used to abuse them? Remember how how you take advantage of that substitute teacher? Our real teacher never does that. Oh, we well, that's what the notes. Oh no, our real teacher never does it. Oh, okay. Well then, let's just sit and draw pictures all day. The substitutes. My daughters, I I love telling this story. My daughters when they were younger, we we had discipline in our home. If they did wrong, they got They got a spanking. They, we practiced biblical discipline and and. Uh, and, 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 and they're normal kids in spite of it. And uh, it's, it's amazing how this works. But we had a rule, if they did wrong, they got a spanking. And my oldest daughter, she is, matter of fact, this just happened. She, she's a chocolate-aholic. I mean, she loves chocolate. If you take her to an ice cream store, it's chocolate ice cream with chocolate chips and chocolate syrup and chocolate on chocolate, on, you know, death by chocolate. That's what she lives like. She loves chocolate. And as a little child, she'd go to the pantry and she'd open that door. My wife is organized, OCD organized. And uh, she's got Tupperware containers that are see-through that she labels it, even though you can see in it. She labels what's in it. And uh, she, I mean, it's just all these things stacked together and they're all in their place, alphabetized all the way. It's just crazy. My, my daughter loved those Nestle chocolate chip morsels. And she'd sneak in there as a little child and she'd grab that Nestle Tupperware container and she'd sneak to her bedroom and she'd eat all those chocolate morsels out of there. I mean, the entire container she did, not the container, but the chocolate morsels out of it, that'd be kind of weird. And and, and she'd hide then that Tupperware container in her bedroom. Her name's Angel, but we're not quite sure what kind of angel she is yet. and. Uh, and she'd eat all those chocolate morsels. And one day she was making her bed, and I walked in there. I said, Angel, I said, can I help you make your bed? And she said, oh, yeah, Dad. And she was, she was probably seven, six or seven years old. And I pulled the bed out. I love to tuck the covers in and make the bed real smooth and got it all made. And as I pulled the bed out, I looked beside the bed, and there was that empty Tupperware container. I'm like, ah, Angel, you know you're not. I didn't say anything. I, I played it cool as a dad. I was like, all right, we'll, we'll see how this goes. And Finished making the bed and pushed the bed back against the wall, and I went back into the pantry, and I opened the pantry door, and my wife was in the other room, and I I hollered out, Christy, hey, Christy, do you know where the chocolate morsels are at? And I'm saying it loud enough so my daughters can hear it in their rooms, too. And, Hey, hey, Christy, where are the chocolate morsels? And my wife said, honey, they're in the pantry. I said, "I, I can't find them. And she said, typical man. And I said, honey, I I promise they're not here. Do I have to come find them for you? No ladies need to say amen right now. You can throw the elbow. It's okay. But we men, we're, you know, we just have selective vision, selective hearing, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, honey, I can't find them. So I hollered out to my daughter, Gabby. I said, Gabby, Gabby, have you seen the chocolate morsels? Gabby's like, no, Daddy, I haven't. She's four or five years old. No, Daddy, I haven't seen them. Gabby, do you know where the? No, Daddy, I don't. Gabby, she said, It was probably Angel, Dad. Come on. So I said, Angel, have you seen the chocolate morsels? And Angel's like, no, Daddy. (laughs) Mm, I know you don't have children like that. Man, I was like, ah. And so I gave her another chance. Angel, are you sure you've not seen the chocolate morsels? No, Daddy, I don't know where they're at. Angel, now I'm walking into her bedroom. Angel, are, you love chocolate Angel? <clears throat> Angel, you love chocolate morsels. Are you sure you haven't seen the chocolate? No, Daddy, I promise. I haven't seen the chocolate morsels. And I reached over and I pulled her bed out. And it was like, oh, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm immediate crying. Daddy, I'm so sorry. I'm so- Angel, you you lied. Our rule was you do wrong, you're gonna get punishment for the wrong, but if you lie to cover it up, you're getting two. Dad, I'm so sorry. So we closed the door. I got the paddle, and she got her spanking for the taking the chocolate morsels. I know you're thinking you're a cruel dad. They're normal kids. They, they've turned out really well, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. In spite of their daddy, they've turned out all right. She got her first spanking. You ever had one of those cries you couldn't stop crying? You know, <laughs> And you can't, Some of y'all look at me like you have no clue what I'm talking about. Just go back a few years and remember, you had them too. We've all had a, you know, slobber coming down. You can't even talk. And she was like, dad, do I have to have the second spike? So angel, did you lie? Yes, dad, I'm sorry. Then yes, you get your seconds back. By that time, there was a little knock on the door. And I knew it wasn't my wife based on the knock. So I said, "Gabby, your daddy and your sister are busy in here." There was another knock. It was like, "Gabby, Gabrielle, you know how a parent, Gabrielle, we're busy. Leave us alone." <laughs> now I'm thinking it's a two for one special two daughters on the same day. I opened that door out of frustration. And I, I, I'm again, I'm sorry. I, I, I was frustrated now. I opened that door out of frustration. There's my little four or five-year-old daughter with tears coming down her cheeks. And I opened the door like, Gabrielle, what are you doing? And I saw her crying. I was like, Gabby, what's wrong? She said, Daddy, I know, I know Angel did wrong. She took the chocolate. She deserves her spanking. And I Daddy, I know Gabby just lied, or excuse me, Angel just lied about taking the chocolate and she deserves a second spanking. My my little four year old daughter looked at me and she said, Daddy, would it be okay if I took Angel's second spanking? I stood there quiet. I didn't say a word. In my brain, I'm thinking, whose child are you? Did I drop you on your head? What is wrong? That's not normal. I grew up in a home where we cheered when our siblings were getting spankings. Like, mom, get them more, pile it on. And here's my little four-year-old daughter crying, daddy, can I take my sisters? They didn't teach us in Bible college what to do with a child that wants to take their sibling spanking. I didn't know what to do. There's no parenting class that teaches you that. I remember I stood there, and I, I, was, I was dumbfounded. I'm crying now. My daughter's crying. She's a little four-year-old girl crying, Daddy, I'll take her spanking. I'm like, what do you do? I look over my other, my wife came around the corner behind her. My wife is crying. Like, oh, that's, that's my daughter right there. No, that, anyway, I stood off to the side. I, I looked at my daughter, Angel. I said, Angel, what do you think? Angel, are you okay with your sister taking your spanking? She's seven. She's like, yes. Thank you, Jesus. God has been so good. Thank you. She's like crying. Her tears are tears of joy now. You say, well, what would you do? You can judge me on this. I I don't know. I didn't know what to do. But I took my little daughter, four-year-old daughter, Gabby. I laid her across the bed. And I gave her the same spanking. You say, you're cruel. I know. I didn't know what to do. I said, Angel, you're going to stand right here. And you're going to watch as your sister takes your punishment. And I gave her that spanking. I-, I wish I could say I didn't give it as hard. I wish I could say I was nicer and didn't give as many swats. I gave her the exact same spanking that, she- that Angel was supposed to get. You know what my four-year-old little daughter did? As soon as she stood up from getting that spanking, she turned around and she ran to me. She threw her arms around me crying. Daddy, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. My wife came over. She threw her arms around me. We are all just having this snot and crying time. My daughter, Angel, she's like, thank you, Jesus, hugging like cheerful, yeah, God. can I tell you, folks, that's what Jesus did for us. We deserve the wrath of God. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus took my sin. I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve God's... I'm I'm not a bad guy, I don't think. Don't ask my wife. She might tell you different. But I deserve the wrath of God on my life. Why? Because I'm a sinner. I'm a preacher, but I'm a sinner. I'm okay confessing it because I'm a sinner. I do wrong. My parents didn't have to teach me how to lie. They tried to beat it out of me. I'm a sinner. I deserve the wrath of God. And God Almighty in heaven looked down and saw Kurt Copeland and said, The wrath of God, my wrath has to be upon him. Why? Because of my sin. And Jesus Christ stepped out. He said, Father, I'll take his punishment. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ left heaven, came to this old sin-cursed earth, stretched out his arms on the cross of Calvary, and looked down through the portals of time at Kirk Copeland. Hold, Hold on. At us at Liberty Baptist today. Jesus looked down the portals of time, and he saw you. And he saw me. And he said, I'll take their punishment I see this loving Savior here in John chapter 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. God incarnate. I love that loving Savior. I see the loving Savior. I see number two. I see an eternal salvation. Look, if you would please. He says in verse number two, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again. Hold on. I see that eternal salvation. I see the fact that Jesus is preparing for me a mansion in heaven. Can I just tell you this? It was January eleventh, 1982. I was at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mattoon, Illinois. I was sitting on the third row back, sir, right where you're sitting. Third row back, center aisle. I was 10 years old. The pastor preached, and as a 10-year-old boy, I knew I didn't want to die and go to hell. And I stepped out of that service, and I came to the front at the invitation time. The pastor was standing at the front. I shook his hand. He said, Kurt, what would you come forward for? I told him this. I said, I don't want to die and go to hell. He took the Bible, and he opened the Bible. I didn't join the church that day. I didn't get dunked in the baptistry that day. I I simply saw some Bible verses that he showed me from the Word of God, from God's Word, how I can know for sure I'm going to heaven. And on January 11th, 1982, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I became a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven today because I trusted Jesus Christ as a 10-year-old boy. And can I just tell you, I'm still on my way to heaven. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, five, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he hath said, God hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That I'm from Tennessee. That's shouting ground for me. I'm going to take off running here in a second. I I won't. I promise. I'm I'm on my way to heaven. I believe this on January 11th, 1982, when I put my trust in Jesus, I believe this in heaven. God Almighty hollered out or Jesus hollered out. I don't know. This is not in the Bible. I just believe it this way. Jesus hollered out down the portals of heaven. He said "This all those angels, start preparing a mansion for Copeland. He just got saved. I I, I imagine one or or two of them turned around and said, who? Are you sure? My phone, my watch is talking to me now. I just imagine... On January 11, 1982, I believe this, God built a home in heaven for me, and it's still there. It's got the nameplate on there, Kurt Roger Copeland, so that my brothers don't take my place. I'm going to boot them out for sure. they come in my house, I'm kicking them out. It's my mansion, and it's there, and it'll be there for all eternity. I've got an eternal salvation. I'll never, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. I'll never go to hell. Why? Because Jesus Christ saved me. I see a loving Savior. I see an uh, an eternal substitute, or a loving substitute, an eternal salvation. I see, number three, a coming Savior. Jesus is coming back. He says in verse number 3, I think it's 3. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. <laughs> Jesus is coming again. Jesus could come today. Those, those rain clouds could part. And the trumpet could blow today. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we could be raptured out. That could happen today. Matter of fact, I, I, I want to, the, the last verse of, of 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. Jesus is coming back with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord in eternal salvation. We're going to see him face to face. And the next verse says, Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. Can I tell you? That's a comfort to most, to some, but it's terror to others. What about that person that is not on their way to heaven? It's not encouraging to tell someone who's not sure they're on their way to heaven that Jesus could come today, but he could. He could. Back in 2018, I was preaching in Sykeston, Missouri, preaching to a group of teenagers at camp, finished that last message, and I, I had told, the, I'd preached to the teenagers about being a witness, telling others about Jesus, just caring about where someone else is going to spend eternity, and through the course of that message, by the way, I, I think this is great, it's awesome when God speaks to the preacher while he's preaching, and God was wearing me out while I was preaching. I was standing there telling the teenagers, care about your family members. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit of God was talking to me, yo, Copeland, what about you? And as I was standing there preaching, the Lord convicted me about my uncle, my uncle Larry. I had witnessed my uncle Larry probably 50 to 100 times. My uncle Larry bought my first car, a 1972 Ford Torino. I bought it off my uncle Larry. Old muscle car. I'd, I'd rev that gas pedal, and you know, the whole car would shake as it it, it raised it up. And and uh, every time I hit that gas pedal, I watched the gas gauge, you know, go down too. And and uh, but I loved that. It was east uh, a weird Easter egg green, like teal green mix. It was ugly, but I loved it. I loved my uncle Larry. Remember when I got saved when I was ten? I got on the phone and I started calling all my family member said, I got saved, I got saved. I get to go to heaven. I'm I'm so excited I get to go to heaven. I was worked up about it. I was so excited. I get to go to heaven. And and I'd say to every one of them, are you going to heaven too? I was 10 years old, almost 11, and I called my Uncle Larry. Uncle Larry, I get to go to heaven. He said, oh, good, that's good, Blondie, glad you're going to heaven. And I said, Uncle Larry, how about you? You going to heaven? And his answer was, I'm fine. I said, oh, so does that mean you are? Or I didn't know. I, didn't, I couldn't comprehend what he was saying. I'm fine. And, and I got off that conversation. Fast forward, I surrendered to preach when I was 16, 17 years old. And I surrendered to preach, I called my Uncle Larry. and said, Uncle Larry, I'm going to be a preacher. And he said, oh, great. I got a preacher for a nephew. This is wonderful. I said, Uncle Larry, you know for sure you're going to heaven. He said, Kurt, I'm fine. I've told you that before. I'm fine. Don't, don't bother me with that. I didn't know what to think, and- Went off to Bible college and wrote my Uncle Larry a letter. And In the letter, I said, Uncle Larry, I love you, and I want to see you in heaven. And Are you going to heaven? Here's how you can know you're going to heaven. And I wrote it all out just as lovingly and as kind as I could and sent it to my Uncle Larry. And a few months later, we were together, and I saw my Uncle Larry and I said, Uncle Larry, did you get my letter? And he said, yeah, Kurt. He said, I got your letter. And I've told you before, leave me alone. Don't talk to me about that. I had tears. Uncle Larry, I just want... want, Kurt, I'm fine. Leave me alone. Witnessed to him probably 50 50 times easily. 2018, he was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. They removed a portion of one lung. Cancer went into remission. 2019, he got it again. Came back with a vengeance. They said, Larry, nothing we can do for you. This is it. This was preaching there in Missouri, and God said, go visit him. And I drove back to Nashville, Tennessee, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and asked my pastor, I was on staff there as a youth pastor, I asked my pastor, can I, can I leave money? Can I take a vacation day and go up to Illinois to witness to my uncle? Last-minute vacation time. I took two vacation days, went up. Drove up in front of his house there in Illinois and called him on the, from the cell phone, he answered the phone. I said, Uncle Larry, it's Kurt. He said, Oh, <coughs> Kurt, that's good to hear from you. I said, Uncle Larry, can you talk for a minute? He said, I can try. I said, Uncle Larry, can I come in and talk to you? I'm out front. Drove eight hours. I'm out front. He said, I didn't know who it was. I was getting ready to call the police. Have them arrest who's ever out there on my property. I said, Don't call the police, it's me. Walked in and for two and a half hours, I sat there on his couch. He sat on a recliner, had the oxygen tube stretched out across and, and uh, sat there on the couch and gasping for breath, talking to me. And his wife sat to my left and I talked to him and told him how much Jesus loved him. God wants him in heaven. My Uncle Larry sat there and he asked probably a, th- a hundred questions. I almost said a thousand questions. A hundred questions. Well, if God so loves us, then why is this? And, why? and he asked all sorts of questions. And i try to answer him, and I always go back, Uncle Larry, Jesus loves you. He wants you in heaven. Finally, about two hours into it, I picked up that oxygen tube, and I cranked it shut, and I said, trust Christ. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> I wanted to, but I didn't. About two and a half hours, Uncle Larry, he looked at me and said, Kurt, would you just shut up and tell me how I can know I'm going to heaven? I said, Wait! You're the one asking the questions. What do you mean me shut up? Uncle Larry got on his knees right there, the the recliner. My Aunt Kim on her knees right to my right, my left. We knelt and prayed, and I heard my Uncle Larry. Oh, it wasn't a great prayer. Matter of fact, in the middle of the prayer, he cussed. (laughs) said, Lord, I need you. I want to know I'm going to heaven. About six months later, I got a phone call. My Uncle Larry had passed away. I drove back up to Illinois with my family, and we gathered at the Preston Henley Funeral Home in Pekin, Illinois, and I preached my Uncle Larry's funeral. And I stood in front of that congregation of all family members and friends. It was a packed house. And I said, folks, I said, this is a sad day for us. But I said, I'm not crying. You want to know why I'm not crying? And I put a big old cheesy smile on I said, I'm not crying, because Uncle Larry's in heaven. Uncle Larry's in heaven today. I can tell you today he's in heaven, and I named the date. I said just six months ago, I sat in the living room. Aunt Kim was sitting right there, and I said, Aunt Kim trusted Jesus Christ, and Uncle Larry trusted Jesus Christ, and they're in heaven today. Why? Not because of me, but because of a loving Savior. That substitute we have, that eternal salvation. And I was able to share with my family member, my Uncle Larry, who had told me time and time and time again, no, leave me alone. I was able to sit down with him, and finally, when he was at the end of his rope, he said, I need Jesus. Hey, can I ask you, Liberty, who's your Uncle Larry? Who are you telling about Jesus? You may be here today thinking, I've got my fire insurance, I'm on my way to heaven. Great, great, great. What about your friends? What about your family members? What about that coworker? Can I challenge you this morning from God's Word, John chapter 14? What an amazing picture of heaven, and heaven's going to be a great place for those of us who are going but for those who are not it's not This is not encouraging if you're here today and you don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven would you trust him today do what I did as that 10 year old boy step out from my seat trust Christ would you trust Christ today and if you already know Christ could I just challenge you share him with your Uncle Larry share him with your Uncle Larry let's share him